How to Do the Impossible by Cameron Chow. I'm going to read this in the third person because this is Cameron Chow's story and not mine. Uh, this is how the story has appears in Appealing in September. You can Google uh, Cameron Chell to listen to his TED Talk where he talks about this story. So Cameron Chell doesn't believe in impossible because he has overwhelming evidence that when we search our stories, we discover inextricable evidence that the impossible does not have to exist because we find ways to overcome anything. All that exists is possible. Throughout his life, Cameron Chell unwittingly defied the odds and achieved what others believed was impossible for a rural southern Alberta high school dropout to achieve. At 26, he was the head of a $3 billion organization, which was the cornerstone of what we now call cloud computing industry. At 32, he was standing at the base of the World Trade Centers wondering why he was alive when so many other people weren't. At 35, he was bankrupt and a hopeless addict living on the streets of Vancouver's downtown east side. At 42, he was in a loving relationship with a daughter on the way and a lymphoma cancer diagnosis. At 45, he co-founded a company called Earthcast, which endeavored to create an unabridged view of the world in one meter video resolution by putting cameras on the International Space Station. Deloitte and Touche called them the most exciting and important tech company in Canada that year. The event that changed his life. In 2001, Cameron Chell's life was out of control. He thought he was in control of everything, but it was just the opposite. He ran a billion-dollar company. He owned jets. That's right, plural, jets. And was, one, was on the cusp of bigger deals. To gain this level of success, he needed to be in control, to do everything you're supposed to do to be successful. He was that guy. The guy who was always going to be smarter, better, faster, and at the top of whatever he did. He'd get up early, run all the strategies, did all the self-help things he needed to do to achieve more success, and then something happened to unravel it all. It was the morning of 9-11-2001, and he had a meeting at the World Trade Center. When the plane hit, we were in a state of bewilderment. Then, as events started to unfold, bewilderment was replaced with chaos. At first, he didn't understand what had happened, but he wasn't all that concerned. His first thought wasn't about the people or the situation. His first thought was, I have a meeting in Midtown this afternoon and the traffic's going to be terrible, so I need to cut this meeting short. That's how self-centered he was. He didn't think he was being self-centered. He thought he was being smart. He wasn't in the moment, in the present. He 
was always thinking of his next move moves three steps ahead and how to be a step ahead, more than a step ahead of the game. That's how you win by staying focused on the future. Or so he thought. All hell broke loose when the second plane hit. It felt like an earthquake. It didn't feel real. It wasn't possible. In fact, it was an absolutely impossible situation. When he got outside, the realization of what had happened became real, and he instantly realized he had no control over what was happening. Here he was, the person who did everything every day to stay one step ahead, to control the situation, the narrative, and his destiny at all times. He was suddenly thrust into a chaotic situation of impossible and possible happening at the same time. There was nothing he could do to move forward to get ahead to be certain of his future. If he stepped right or left, something could fall on him and he'd be dead. If he ran straight, he might live, but he didn't know. If he stood still, he could live. But he didn't know. At that moment, he realized he was completely lying to himself. Every day, he felt he had to do the things he needed to do to always be one step ahead. Yet in that moment, he realized none of that mattered. He was not able to predict anything. He could not stay safe. And everything could end. In the chaos surrounding him, people were dying. They were jumping to keep from burning. They were running in different directions. And he didn't know which way was going to result in staying alive. At that moment, he learned life is completely out of his control. And... It was the worst thing he could have discovered. The aftermath. He made his way from downtown into Midtown. The phone service was sporadic and it took a while, but he called who he could to let them know he was okay. When he called California to check on his son, he found out his son had taken his first steps. It was surreal. He should have been dead, yet he was hearing the most amazing news in the world, and all he wanted to do was get drunk. Up until this point in his life, he was disciplined with his body and his health. You know, he he drank in moderation and only socially. He didn't do drugs and took obsessively good care of himself. That night, he got completely drunk, and that was only the start of his problems. Over the next six months, his company witnessed an unforeseen downturn as the tech market collapsed. It was the dot-com bubble. Daily, he witnessed the stock price of his company go down. And once again, he realized he was not in control of the outcome. No matter what he did, 
he could not change the stockmarkets.com meltdown. He'd done everything he was supposed to do to be successful, to increase the valuation of his company and create wealth for his investors. Yet, he could do nothing about the dot-com market correction or the regulations governments were putting into place which slowed technological advancement for a few years. He was supposed to be successful. He'd worked hard, followed the processes, and there was nothing he could do. So, he drank. Drinking turned into drugs, and the drugs turned into harder drugs. He started disappearing for months at a time to get away from the impossible situation he'd found himself in. Whenever he wanted to escape, he'd get on one of his jets and go hide somewhere. He wouldn't tell anyone where. Eventually, he went broke, completely bankrupt, and ended up on the street in the downtown east side of Vancouver, Canada's poorest and drug-filled four blocks. I, he didn't have to live there. He had friends who would come pick him up. In fact, they'd hired private investigators to find him and forced him into rehab. However, each time he let them down and returned to the street looking for the next high. Eventually, he'd pushed his luck too far. His friends realized they had to allow him to hit rock bottom because he didn't want to be saved. He'd let them down too many times. The event that changed his life. While he was living on the streets of Vancouver, he offended a local gang because he was still too arrogant and cocky for his own good. Whenever this gang would find him, they would beat him up for fun. One day they beat him up so badly he ended up in the hospital. And while lying in his hospital bed, he realized as long as he stayed on the street, they would find him and the next beating could kill him. And he didn't want to die. For the first time, he realized he did not want to die. When he got out of the hospital and had... All he had on were his dirty clothes he got in with and the spare key to his Jeep, which he'd miraculously managed to keep. During one of his rehab moments, a friend had bought him a Jeep for some reason, and he didn't sell it for drugs. However, that didn't stop the gang from taking it from him, and they beat him up. Now, I needed, he needed the Jeep back because it was the only way he had to get out of Vancouver. He found the Jeep parked on the street, and the spare key was still, and it opened the locked door. As he was getting in, he heard a yell from down the street. It was one of the gang members, and he was coming to stop him from taking the Jeep back. At that moment, it was crystal clear. If he caught Cam... Cam knew he would not live to the end of the day. I, he didn't know how close he was. He didn't know if the guy was chasing him. He didn't know if other people were coming after him. 
He just drove east. The Aftermath After he left the city of Vancouver, he pulled into a Safeway parking lot. He was shaking. He'd gotten away from the gang member, he'd taken his Jeep back, but he was a mess. He needed to get help, and nobody was going to give him any money. He'd been wearing the same clothes for weeks. They were cut up, bloody, dirty, goodness knows what he smelled like. He hadn't eaten for a couple of days. He had no upper teeth because he knocked them all out during different seizures and overdoses. He had no money. He was driving a Jeep he couldn't prove was his because he had no identification. He had no idea how he was going to repair his life, get clean, get his family back, and get out of bankruptcy. He didn't know how he was going to live to tomorrow, let alone what to do when he got there. At that moment, he asked himself, Cam, what do you want? The answer was he wanted to be safe. He didn't want to die. It was the first time in years he realized he didn't want to die. At least not by getting beaten up to death on the streets of Vancouver. He decided he wasn't going to die. That was the only decision he had to make. And the next question he asked was, how do I stay safe? This is the key to understanding how we achieve the impossible. It's three simple things. In that moment, he answered that question with three simple things to do to achieve the impossible and to live to tomorrow. Question one, what's important to me? To live. What's the solution? I, he needed to get to his brother's place. Number three, what can I, he do right now in this instant to get closer to his brother? He needed to drive east. And how does he make that happen? The only answer he could come up with was he needed to ask for help. Everything in his entire life was about him doing it, him accomplishing it, and him being successful on his own, standing there in the parking lot of Safeway, dirty, smelly, and scared. He had to ask for help. He was finally at a place in his life where he had to ask for help. And he still had friends willing to help him. He knew the first thing he needed to do was call his friends and ask for help. So he went around the parking lot asking strangers, Can I borrow your phone? I need to make a call and ask somebody for help. Amazingly, people let him use their phones to make calls. He couldn't get a hold of some of the people. Some who answered hung up when they heard his voice, and he really couldn't blame them. Finally, he got his former CFO, Blair, on the phone. Blair knew his shtick. 
He'd called him plenty of times, lying about needing money for rent and used the cash to get high instead. He'd let Blair down many times before. Now, Blair's a smart guy. He could have hung up on Cam or told him no, but he didn't. Instead, Blair said, Cam, I'll do something for you. I'm going to send you $12.95. First of all, you need to know the exact number because there's no way Western Union will give you any money because you have no ID, you smell, you're ugly, and you're an idiot. So you need to know the exact amount of money, and I don't want to give you enough money for you to get yourself in danger. So I'll send you $12.95. What you do with it, it's up to you. But when the $12.95 runs out, if you're still alive, I'll help you again. Surprisingly, after a bunch of cajoling, Western Union did give him the money Blair sent, and he put gas in the Jeep. Then he started driving until he was low on gas again, and he started looking for another Safeway and did the same thing. It took him 10 days to get back to Alberta, to his brother's place, to safety. A lot of those days, he was in the back of the Jeep, puking his guts out and wondering what to do next. And all he really cared about was being safe, to live, and to get to his brother's. To get there, he needed to do the next thing to get that one step closer In the moment, focusing on the next step, the one right in front of him, that moment, not looking down the road to tomorrow, not trying to stay one step in front of the other person, not playing strategy of the three steps ahead. He could only focus on that moment. What was the next thing he was going to do? Look at the task right in front of me, him, today. Once he did that one thing, he'd ask himself, what do I need to do now to get safe? Then he'd focus on that next thing. Each step getting him closer to his goal, his brother, his safe place. Doing the impossible isn't about doing everything and knowing the whole plan. It is only about doing the next thing. To keep taking steps, to move forward, to move towards what you want. For him, it was to be safe at his brother's place. When Cam finally made it to his brother's place, something amazing happened. His arms were around his brother and his wife, and they were literally carrying him into the house. He, you know, Cam was so surprised, he asked, why are you going to help me this time? 
And his brother responded with, You have 10 days clean, right? During my, his escape from Vancouver to his, play, to his brother's place, Cam didn't think about staying clean for 10 days. He only thought about doing the next thing to get to safety, not getting off drugs. Against all odds, he had 10 days clean by focusing on the next thing he needed to do to get to safety. This is how he accomplishes the impossible. The lesson. Cameron learned that he can't do it on his own. No matter what we do, no matter who we think we are, no matter what, if we think we are doing it on our own, if we think we are the solitary hero, you will not accomplish the impossible. Show him any person in history who was successful, and he will show you that the reason they were successful was because of the people around them. We all need to ask for help and stay focused on the future while being in the moment to do the next thing that we need to do to get to the place that we need to be. That's how we do the impossible. That is part of Cameron Shell's story. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you know, go to LinkedIn. Take a moment to follow Cameron Chell. Uh, he does have his um, in Build the Impossible support uh, call for entrepreneurs and startups. You should check it out. Just go to LinkedIn and follow him, and he'll find out how to get on his calls. He's very helpful. Um, thank you very much for listening and participating in the appealing platform. <laughs>